Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Beloved, we as the church, we are called to be the bride of Christ. But all too often the church finds itself bickering and backbiting and mumbling and complaining. The church finds itself being divided and every individual wanting the church to be like Burger King. You you know the slogan of Burger King, have it your way. At Burger King, you can have it your way. But you know what? The church is not built for that. The church is not designed for that. The church is not an individual's organization. It is an organization of a multitude of individuals that come together for one purpose and one plan. Many of us are well aware that the more people that are involved in a gathering, the more differences there tends to be. From preferences, personalities, attitudes, and more, it seems that the more people there is, the higher the chance there is for strife. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us the importance of striving to maintain structure and unity within our local congregation. In our study, we learn that while we're all indeed unique individuals, our faith in Christ is the uniting factor that allows us to overcome our differences. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Servants and Pillars. For those who have served well as deacons, they obtain for themselves a a good standing and and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Good standing and a great boldness in the faith. I, I think that was the case when we look at Stephen. Remember, we talked of Stephen, I think it was last week. Stephen, one of those first ones in Acts 6 that were appointed to the service of the widows, a man of great godly character and, and man very bold in his faith, so bold he stood before the elders and the scribes declaring the truth of the hope of the gospel even to the point that they ended up stoning him. Yeah, if you're going to be a deacon doing it well, you need to understand that as you faithfully serve that area in service to the body, if your heart is right before God and as you serve him in faithfulness, Beloved, that's going to be a condition, that's going to be a place where you are going to be blessed by God because you're faithful to his calling in your life. Now, Paul next, he gets kind of personal as he moves on here in verse 14. There seems to be this great desire for Paul to be able to come and and get together with Timothy again, Timothy, his son in the faith, to come together to to be there at the church of Ephesus, a church that he spent uh, uh, a great deal of time, again, uh, in in teaching them and training them and raising them up. That desire to be there, Paul shares with us in verse 14. He says, these things I'm writing to you now, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you might know. And catch this, why is he writing these things? In order that you might know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar 
and the ground of the truth. Overall, the main focus of what Paul is writing to Timothy here is not only to bring structure and organization to the church there in Ephesus, but also so that the church itself might serve in order rather than being out of order. So many, even of that first century churches, were out of order. They were not living up to the calling that God had for them as his people. And the problem wasn't just in Ephesus. When he writes to Titus over in Crete, he says, I'm sending you there to set things in order. Things were out of order in Crete. We read the the book of 1 Corinthians. We find in that church in Corinth, the church was out of order. They had every spiritual blessing had so many blessings of God in their lives, and yet the church itself was totally out of order. In the first century church, we see out of order, and now we come to the 21st century church, and beloved, I believe that we've perfected the idea of being out of order. And we see that in so many different churches and in different ways. You come and you think, wow, is God really honored in that? Are you really focused on God? Are you really pointing people toward Jesus Christ in the midst of what you're doing as a church? Beloved, we as the church, we are called to be the bride of Christ. But all too often, the church finds itself bickering and backbiting and mumbling and complaining. The church finds itself being divided and every individual wanting the church to be like Burger King. You you know the slogan of Burger King, have it your way. At Burger King, you can have it your way. But you know what? The church is not built for that. The church is not designed for that. The church is not an individual's organization. It is an organization of a multitude of individuals that come together for one purpose and one plan. Paul tells Timothy, you need to know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. This whole idea of what constitutes the church is not up for debate. To define the church is actually quite simple. The hard thing is living it out. We know what the church is. The hard thing is living out how the church ought to be. The church isn't a building. The church is the people of God that are joined together. Together, we form the church. Individually, we are a part of the church, but we can never, ever be the church simply as individuals. Did you catch that understanding? As an individual, you are part of the church, but when you're out and on your own, you cannot be the church by yourself. The church is the combination, the joining together of the people of God. The very word that we use for church all throughout the New Testament is the Greek word ekklesia. And ekklesia simply means the assembly, the assembly of people. It has a secular meeting. Uh, uh, it could be an assembly for political reasons. It can be a, an assembly of people that, hey, let's join and form a group for this or for that. It simply means an assembly of people. That's why you yourself on your own cannot be the church, but you can be a part of the church. So that whole idea called away from other things and called together as the church. And the church, the, the 
Christian church actually grabbed a hold of that word with its full intent and its full meaning. Out from this world to join together as the assembled ones of God. Now throughout the book of Acts and the letters to the churches, we find this twofold designation of that term church. There's the idea and the understanding of the universal church, that again, all believers in Christ together, but then there is also the understanding of the local church, which is what you and I are here this morning. We are part of the local church. As a matter of fact, this congregation, we actually have three congregations within this one local church, but we are a local church. We work and move and we serve the Lord together here in this local assembly. And Paul refers to all of it as the church of God, the church of Christ, and that's when we understand fully, it's not about me, it's not about you. No, it is his church, and we get to come and be a part of it. It's at that point that something which could be very common, just an assembly of people together, something that could be very secular in understanding, a large group of people joining together for one purpose, is now transformed into a Christian assembly or a Christian gathering or a Christian community apart from any other reason other than to glorify Christ and to honor God in our lives. Beloved, the church is not a secular assembly. The church is not a pagan gathering. The church is not a sporting event. And the church is not an entertainment venue. We don't come to church to be entertained. That's not the reason we are here. We are here to bring glory and honor to Christ and to be equipped for the work of service, service to each other and service to the community where God has planted us. We are called to do the will of God in Christ Jesus and we do that by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. As the church, we are his bride. Beautifully adorned, we are waiting for our groom. As the church, we are his body every part of that body working and doing our individual parts together. As the church, we are the ones who are called out from the world. We are called in to come together to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them to observe all things that the Lord has commanded us. And he says that when you're doing that, I promise you, my presence will be there with you. And I will work and move within people's lives. Paul states that the church of the living God is the pillar and it's the ground of truth. Look at that and we've got to understand, man, the church has to, it has to continue to be a demonstration to the world around us that we are the pillar and the ground of truth. I don't know if you've looked lately, but the world is pushing against that every way that they can. And they're trying to tear down that foundation, they're trying to destroy literally what you and I ought to be standing firm on. It's, it's a great word picture, this, this, this pillar. In, in the Roman architecture, the pillar is what held up the structure. So the pillar itself has, has to be solid. It has to be with, with great integrity. It, it cannot be broken or cracked. It's the church itself all down through history. It's the church that, again, has held societies together. It's the church 
down through history that, that formed orphanages and, and ministered to the poor and to the sick. And in the Roman culture, for the hundreds of years that they were under the Roman culture, it was the church that would go out and bury the dead. It was the church that would go and deal with those during the plague when so many people were suffering. It was the church that reached out as the arms and the hands of Christ to the community that they live in. It is the church that built institutions of higher education, even within our own country. Uh, Universities like Yale and Harvard started out as Christian universities, Christ-honoring universities, and both of them still have plaques on their property that speak about the direction and the purpose that that school was designed and purposed for. It is the church that also commissioned great works of art and, and music to bring glory to God down through the ages. And can you imagine all the great music that wouldn't be here if the church had not pushed it? Things like Handel's Messiah, much of the great works, Mozart's, many of his works, again, to the glory and to the honor of God. Mendelssohn, all of these great musicians of the past, again, because giving glory and praise to God through the arts, the artwork itself all around the world, giving glory and praise to the greatness of God because of the church. Beloved, it is the church who represents and declares the hope of the gospel to the world around us, and that's what we need to continue to be. When we cease doing that, and when we suddenly become a nice, comfortable club, that we come through the safety of these doors, we meet in the safety of like-minded people, we enjoy our worship time together, we enjoy our fellowship together, we get encouraged by a little word here, or a little word there, and we go out and we do not impact the world that's around it. Beloved, we cease to be the church. We then become a social club. And God has not called us to be a social club. When the church actually lives, walks, and serves as the church, society is improved And our society and our community is blessed because of it. But once the church moves into a position of being a part of the society, looking and walking and acting like the rest of the world, we're no longer a pillar of the society. We've become a part of the decay of society. For a pillar to stand true and fast, able to hold on to the weight of its responsibilities before God and the community, she has to have a sure foundation, a solid ground. And that foundation or the ground that you and I stand on as the church is the uncompromised word of God. We dare not veer away from it to modern theories and and the understandings and the philosophies of man. Beloved, it's through the word of God where our foundation is and where it remains strong against every attack of the enemy. When we as the church and individual members of it walk away from the truth of the word, when we begin to acquiesce to the declining morals and the ideals of this ever-changing society that we live in, then we as the body of Christ and as the emissary of God, we lose ground and we also lose our purpose for being. We might as well hang a sign on the door that says, Ichabod, that the spirit of God has left this place and sell the building and go about doing whatever we want to do because we're certainly not doing what God has called and intended his church to be. Jesus himself warned us, 
Why in the world would you build a house on sand? Look for that rock, look for that solid foundation and build the house on that solid foundation. That way when the winds and the storms and the attack of the enemy come, you're still able to stand other than having your foundation washed out from underneath you. Beloved, we're not building even a religious club. We are building a living structure, the house of God, which is the church of the living God. And we dare not build it on any other foundation than the solid truth of his word, not the schemes and the plans of man, not the wisdom and the counsel of some church growth programs, but by simply teaching the word of God simply and the people of God living their lives as the people of God and not of this world. It's when the church actually lives as the church that we become the pillar, grounded and founded in the truth of God. It's at this point that Paul just kind of breaks out in praise again as he finishes this section. We finish with this. Again, Paul speaks here in verse 16. He says, it's without controversy that great is the mystery of godliness. That whole mystery of godliness, that's wrapped up in the incarnation of Christ. Because he goes on to speak, God was manifested in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He he was preached among the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. He was received up in glory. Some believe that maybe this was a, a, a first century confession of faith, that this is what you knew. This is what I believe. I believe that God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by and on it was. It was a confession of faith. Some say, well, perhaps it was an early hymn that they put these to, to, a, to a melody that they would sing together, just a declaration of their faith. We look at these justified in, or that God was manifested in the flesh. Through his birth, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, Jesus declared the glory of God to the world in every aspect of his life, justified in the spirit. It was the Lord spoke in a way that everyone heard. He says, this is my beloved son and in him I'm well pleased. He was justified in in his life by the love of the father. He was seen by angels. Don't forget, he, he lived in all of eternity past and the angels there that ministered to him were also there when he took upon himself human flesh and came and dwelt among us. And I believe that those same angels that dwelt with him in eternity past looked at this and they they could not imagine what he is subjecting himself to, the abuse of humanity, and to take upon himself the spotless one, the sinless one, to take upon himself the sin of the world. Remember there in the garden as Peter took out his sword and he wanted to protect Jesus and Jesus told him, don't you realize that I could call legions of angels at this moment and they would swoop down and take care of all the situation? I believe that he said that because at that probably at that very moment there were legions of angels on the very edge of heaven just ready to jump down and take care of the situation. I, I, I believe that they were probably overwhelmed by all of this. Can you imagine? seeing how, again, the Son of God rejected, abused, and crucified. They crucified the very King of glory. He was preached among the Gentiles. The gospel message wasn't just for Jews. 
Even, even the, the, the term Gentiles in, in the Jewish mindset, if you weren't Jewish, you were Gentile. That, that's all there was. There was Jew and there was Gentile. There was Jew and everything else, and everything else was Gentile. But the gospel came to the Gentiles. Paul understood. It came to the Jews first, but then also to the Gentiles. And again, that word went out that the whole world might hear and know. But just as today, some believed while others rejected it. It does say he was believed on in the world. Through his life, through his actions, the Spirit of God moved upon the hearts of men that they would trust their lives into his care. They gave up everything to follow him, and they themselves even laid down their lives for his name's sake. As a matter of fact, we find that people from every tribe, tongue, and nation coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes because a friend shares the truth of the faith with a friend. Sometimes it's through coming to a a, a preaching service or listening on a radio program, on a television program. Sometimes through reading a pamphlet in their own native language. Sometimes it's even through dreams and visions. But God is calling men and women and young people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to himself. He's believed on in the world. And yes, he was received up into glory. Following that resurrection, following that 40 days of ministering to his disciples, says that he was received up into glory. There's one thing I want you to get with this. As he went into the very presence of God the Father, he brought something human with him. He brought the scars in his hands and his feet and his side and the imprints of the thorns. As he ascended to the very presence to stand at the right-hand side of God the Father, he brought with him the scars of our redemption. He brought with him the signs of the sacrifice for our sanctification. He brought those with him. And so now, every time that the enemy of our souls begins pointing at our sin and begins condemning us, Jesus standing beside the very throne of God the Father says, yes, he's a sinner, she's a sinner, but I paid for it, Father. I paid for it with my own death. It's a marvelous thing that God has done in sending Christ for us. We as the church, we as the called ones of Christ, we as the living church of God are called then to be ministers of that hope to each other and to the world outside of us. There's an old hymn. The words of it is, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that's greater than all of our sin. Let me ask you this morning, do you know that grace within your own life? Do you know that your sin is forgiven because of the love of God for you, sending Christ to die for you? And if you do know that, are you walking in a way that brings honor and glory? Are you walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which you are called into his kingdom? 
We're so glad you joined us today for The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. If you've enjoyed today's message and would like to listen again, just visit theopenword.com. There are several other teachings that we encourage you to download, share, and listen to anywhere you go. We know it can be hard to find time in this busy world to sit and study the Bible in depth, but we've tried to make it a little easier. Pastor David's insights into God's Word can be taken with you on the go, filling those pauses in your day with promises and truth. We're so glad we can provide these Bible studies for you through the ministry of the Open Word. We'd like to ask you, though, to be a part of what we're doing here. With more information, here's Pastor David. I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word, and God has given us a vision to see the ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Pastor David. There's much more to learn from the book of 1 Timothy, so tune in again to Pastor David's teaching on the open word.